Welcome everyone to the Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast. I am your host, Neil Pollock, the Editor-in-Chief of Book and Film Globe. You can find us at www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and publishing, film and streaming TV, and so much more. Welcome back to the show. We have a great program for you this week. Adam Hirschfelder, frequent contributor, will be here to talk about the hit, very big hit TV show Yellowstone. And Jamie Mason will be here to talk about the very big hit TV show Cobra Kai. But first, Kristen Clifford is going to join us, our film critic, to talk about the new Scream movie. It's yet another meta commentary on horror movies and on horror movie reboots, and it's also very scary in its own right. Kristen liked it a lot, and we'll be right back to talk to her about it. franchise ever completely dies, especially horror franchises. Halloween has had a resurgence, and now this week we've seen a reboot, a rebirth of the Scream franchise. Scream is back with the original title, Scream, not even Scream 5. Uh, It's in theaters now, and it's getting excellent reviews, and one of the excellent reviews it received was from our very own Kristen Clifford. Kristen is here to talk about the new Scream movie with me. Hello, Kristen. Hello. So you're a, you're a fan of the franchise, and from your review, you, you seem to think that this franchise continued what people loved about it. Yeah, it definitely did. It's it's very meta, as Scream movies tend to be. And in the movie, the one of the characters calls it a requel and explains what a requel is. And they were like, a requel is a sequel that's a reboot, but you have to bring in original characters and you have to introduce new characters to carry on the story. And like I said in my review, I'm like, maybe I was brainwashed because the movie told me what it was doing, but I do think it did that successfully. Well, the thing that distinguishes Scream from other horror movie franchises is its self-awareness, right? Like, while still being also gory and scary, like it it plays on the tropes of the genre and it comments on them while also uh, embodying them. Exactly. So this one did that and it definitely had moments that are kind of like those fan service moments where characters show up or are referenced again and like people get excited. But it also did have, um, you know, some compelling new characters in it. So there's still teenagers getting bludgeoned and, and <laughs> bloodied and stabbed up the wazoo, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely um, all of the elements of like a teenage slasher, you know, just people getting basically, yeah, getting stabbed. Uh, by Ghostface, so Ghostface is the is the villain here. But he also they bring they bring back uh, actors from the the surviving characters from the previous screen movies, the, the Nev Campbell character, the Courtney Cox TV reporter character, David Arquette has returned as well. So like all those favorites are there and like those are the characters that people love and, you know, they like cheer for when they come on the screen. And they brought back a few other characters that maybe weren't in the first one, but have been in other Scream franchise movies, too. Like there's a Deputy Judy character who I don't think was in the first one, but um, she was in subsequent movies and she's in this. And you saw this in a movie theater, correct? Yes. In, yeah. in, Los, in Los Angeles. Was it a, a night of Scream super fans? Like, I, you know, that's not a movie I would go see on opening night, for instance. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think it was. The theater was like very crowded um, and 
people were clapping and, and cheering and interacting not quite as much as it would be for like a, i saw get out and that was just you know packed theater everyone reacting super intensely to everything but it was definitely like a crowd that was there that like screamed that were ready to have fun but it wasn't quite to the level of and they think this in the second movie they show people going to see the stab movie not quite to that level but stab is the scream franchise within the scream franchise Yes, exactly. And in the in their their universe, there's eight stab movies. Um, although this was the fifth scream, so there's more stabs than there are screams now. <laughs> and there's more Halloweens than there are screams. And you reviewed the 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 Halloween Kills movie for us more recently as well. How does this stack up? Because I feel like these two, you know, now you have these revivals. I'm I'm assuming you know Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street can't be too far behind. No, I'm sure there's someone working on those right now. Like. Um, Halloween Kills, I loved in the rebooting of the Halloween franchise. Like I loved the first one. Halloween Kills, it was good. It was it was definitely very fan servicey. Not not much different from this one. It's definitely also the middle film in a trilogy, if that makes sense. So where you're like, all right, I guess all this stuff is happening so that the third movie can can exist. Definitely very similar in that vein where you're like seeing really old characters pop up from the original um, scream a little less. So just because it's, you know, quite frankly, not as old as Halloween, um, you know, because the first Halloween came out in the 70s. So those original characters are maybe more obscure than some of the actors that were popping back up in scream, because I would say Courtney Cox and, and Nev Campbell and David Arquette are all still working actors, whereas some of the people that popped up in Halloween, like the person who's on Real Housewives are not. So. At this point, that's almost a 50 year old movie, whereas Scream, I mean, you know, to me, you know, we're both uh, Gen Xers, uh, Gen X card carrying members uh, in good standing. It feels like Scream just came out yesterday. You know, Drew Barrymore was uh, screaming into the phone just just yesterday. Exactly. It does. It, it still feels like very modern to me. And I think that's just like because I was young and, and, and cool when it first came out. So <laughs> it seems that way to me. But yeah, it uh, it's definitely crazy to think that it's only like 20 years, I guess, younger than the Halloween franchise. You know, you may not be as young anymore, but you're still cool. Uh, Kristen Clifford, thank you so much. Thank for you. Reviewing horror movies for us, because I'll admit, like, I, I hate horror movies. You know, some of the quote unquote elevated horror stuff that they make fun of and scream. You know, I, I like, you know, like Get Out and Midsummer and all that stuff. Like, I can dig some of that. But like the slasher movies are just not my thing. So I'm so glad that there's someone uh, writing for us who enjoys them. Yeah, that's funny. One of the characters mentions that she loves the Babadook because it's elevated horror. <laughs> so, right. Uh, well, when uh, when uh, when Freddy Krueger next pops out of the waterbed, um, we'll 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 get you <laughs> on that. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Kristen. Right. Bye. Well, on your feed, all the scared urban liberals might be talking about shows like Station Eleven or uh, the Sex and the City reboot. Out here in the real America, we're watching Yellowstone. 
I mean, I'm not actually watching Yellowstone. I've, I've got other other things going on. But most of the people I play poker with, for instance, all they do is they talk about Yellowstone and John Dutton and the struggles of, of the Dutton family and their ranch. And so I, I thought, well, it's about time. We have a piece about Yellowstone, the most popular show in the United States. And so I assigned someone who grew up in New Jersey and lives in Marin County to write about it. Adam Hirschfelder. Ace TV reporter for Book and Film Globe is here to talk to me. He's watched all four seasons of Yellowstone. Hello, Adam. Hello, Neil. Uh, that's not Adam's actually actual voice. He's he's imitating Kevin Costner as John Dutton. I'll only speak in cliches during this interview. <laughs> Learn to deal with it. <laughs> Land is sacred. <laughs> anyway, so Yellowstone, you watched it. You watched the whole thing. That's a lot of episodes of TV. It really is a lot of episodes TV. I mean, you know, the pandemic has worked for that. I mean, you know, now that I'm you know, stuck at home and with Omicron and everything, I mean, you know, I could pack in four seasons of Yellowstone. And, uh, you know, I was I was surprised. I mean, I'm a bit, of, you know, of the story, too. Uh, you know, I knew you kind of knew Yellowstone existed out there. When you asked me to take a look at it, I was shocked that there were four seasons of this show. And it, the first couple seasons were really popular, but, uh, you know, among specific demographics. So I was like kind of the classic case of, uh, you know, someone on a coast who caught wind of the program late. Yeah, that's the thing you point out in the piece is that the show kind of did the opposite. It, it kind of went from the interior out like it caught on among, I guess you can say red America uh, or the real America or not. Yeah. No, I don't know what what version of America it caught on with. But then and then it gradually people who write for the publications that that are supposedly spreading culture caught on to the fact that. Everyone was watching this Montana set Western starring Kevin Costner. I don't know. I don't know why that should be a surprise. I mean, Kevin Costner has been, you know, an enormous, enormously popular movie star for 40 years. He has. And, you know, it was, it was a little surprising. I mean, that it maybe took off slowly in some places. But, you know, for me, you know, I knew it existed. I knew there was also that show Big Sky. And, you know, it just seemed like the Western and that kind of thing. And like we've all done this before. But we haven't, as you point out in the yeah. what they basically have done with Yellowstone is uh, applied the Sopranos formula to the West. They, they did. It's like the Sopranos of the West with also this like incredible soap opera on top of it. It's almost like three different types of programs on top of it, which helps it really grab viewers in all kinds of way. I mean, the violence is up at the Sopranos level, but then the soap opera madness, I, I guess I'm trying to figure the kind of TV show that it's like. But, you know, there's so much, you know, uh, emotional stuff, too, while they tell the traditional Western story uh, that makes it really attractive, I think. Obviously, like, you know, this is a very different time and the level of TV sophistication has gone way up. But really, the comparison in terms of its cultural impact is Dallas. It's like, you know, Dallas was like, you know, we watch it now and it, it, it's like it's like watching, you know, old episode. It's like it's like listening to old timey radio. It's so cheesy. But <laughs> but but it had that same kind of like, you know, it brought like the um, the glamour of the um, red America cowboy lifestyle to the coast. And it just kind of, and, and it appealed to everyone. And yes. I think Yellowstone has, has kind of a similar vibe. I mean, you know, the show is, um, it's run and written by Taylor Sheridan, who is, uh, you know, who makes these sort of like melodramatic, you know, action, Western action movies. The, the quality of the writing and the filmmaking is a lot higher than you saw in, in Dallas or Dynasty. Yeah, this guy, you know, guy, he obviously, you know, 
is a, a student of what works on uh, the TV screen. And yeah, you know, it's got all the 21st century maladies that, uh, you know, we've come to expect from programs, you know, family dysfunction, impact of drugs in rural areas, particularly, you know, meth and crumbling families. Like, so, you know, certainly developed a bit, you know, Dallas and then Dynasty later, uh, you know, touched upon this stuff. But, uh, you know, you know, family dysfunction uh, and how it animates families is really, I think, the core piece of Yellowstone although, the, you know, it's got all the basics of the classic Western to a T and the beautiful surroundings, the guys in cowboy hats. I mean, there's, you know, it's definitely a cheese element to it, but, you know, it's, it's good cheese. And then you got the violence like the Sopranos. And I'm from New Jersey, so I'm all in. But there's like lots of range riding and bronco busting and gun Yeah, fights. yeah. I mean, you know, Sher- Sheridan does go over the top with this stuff, as I kind of make reference to. I mean, there's just countless, countless scenes of wrangling competitions. And, you, you know, you kind of learn a lot. Of, you know, you know, it's kind of the stuff you've got to kind of quickly go by watching on ESPN. You know, like, you know, what the hell, are the, you know, is ESPN showing these, uh, you know, wrangling competitions? But Sheridan, man, he goes scene after scene of, of wrangling competitions and what they mean and how they're scored and the people who do it and build a life around it. I mean, he really he really goes hard for that kind of stuff yellowstone is now now is a show that the the fancy people are debating and (laughs) megan mccain uh you know in some of my circle to consider it like you know she's like one step away from being ava braun or something you know she's really just kind of like a mainstream republican pundit you know but, but she um she made some comment that you know the reason people like yellowstone is that it's quote not woke and it's true that, like, you know, this isn't like, you know, some woke show like Insecure or Dear White People or, or, or whatnot. But it's not, as you point out in the review, it's not anti-woke either. Like, you you, yeah. uh, you you point out that it has a very sophisticated understanding of and treatment of Native Americans, which is very important for a show set in Montana. You know, Sheridan does a, a really good job, I think, in showing the complexities of Native identity in the 21st century. Uh, there's one scene when uh, uh, John Dutton's daughter-in-law, Monica, who he helps get a job at the local university, does this lecture of uh, the American, you know, manifest destiny from the Native viewpoint. And she goes on for several minutes of uh, of that, you know, kind of decolonizing the understanding of the old, old West, which in itself could qualify, you know, to use that trite term, woke, if you will. But then she walks out of the classroom past this group of students, you know, kind of a mixed group of students, some white, some native, obviously. And one kid has a T-shirt on that says, you know, uh, Homeland Security since 1492. There was no need for that because Monica had done had done a decent job at explaining that. He really hit people over the head with that message. So you, you wonder with Megan McCain, where does the native experience uh, fit within her, you know, understanding or knowledge of, quote unquote, woke? Because Sheridan does a really focuses a lot on the native experience and how it's developed in the West. So McCain was just making noise or maybe she just doesn't understand it for that part of the world. That's the most important you know, aspect to uh, to fit in. Like there's you know, there's not there aren't a lot of black people in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't. But interesting enough, Sheridan also sprinkles, uh, ran- you know, we learn a lot about ranch life and what it means for these workers on the ranch where you have a couple African-American uh, characters who kind of are the legacy of uh, a long but not understood black cowboy lifestyle, which has right. also been part of the West uh, and in California where I'm from. But, yeah, I mean, Sheridan, Sheridan does a, an interesting job of showing there's a diverse group of people who've adopted the uh, cowboy lifestyle. So, you know, a good all-American show, if, you know, if you dig into it. 
I think that explains Yellowstone's popularity at the end of the day is that, you know, it has there's something in it for everyone. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. If you're if you're a don't tread on me, you know, <laughs> private property is sacred kind of guy or woman then the show is for you. And if you, if you, if you like uh, family dysfunction, the show is for you, you know, and, and, it, and but, but like, like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, turn liberals away at the door either. No, not at all. I mean, I think it, it, it's a little piece for everybody. And I imagine, you know, one wonders over the coming years if other shows will pick up on the, you know, a little more of this kind of uh, property ownership and where that fits. I mean, it's certainly in some programs, but this has a little piece for everybody. Uh, you know, I'm not sure some of the big shows out there have a little piece for everybody. I mean, the gloss for, uh, uh, you know, Yellowstone is succession. And, you know, that's really targeted at, uh, you know, a certain group of viewers. And I love succession, but it's not I wouldn't say universally relatable. Exactly. I think I think Sheridan and Yellowstone do a good job of making universally re- relatable. This is America 101 and Television 101. And uh, I got sucked into it. I was skeptical. I was a little skeptical going into it. But now, you know, I'm going to dive into 1883. He's already spun off a prequel. And then there's going to be a kind of a side story. It's kind of like not surprisingly, almost like, you know, the Star Wars world on Disney Plus, which has spun off all these streaming side stories. Yellowstone's going to have to do the same. Again, we have 1883 as a prequel, but then there's going to be uh, something called the Sixes based on this Texas ranch where one of the characters, Jimmy, goes to learn to be a man and it's going to be focused on Texas. So uh, right up your alley, Neil. <laughs> That's the Texas I know. <laughs> Definitely. If there if there was a show based on, a, um, I don't know, like a, like a juice bar uh, or, or like ramen noodle chain enterprise, I'm sure that would appeal to Austin <laughs> viewers. Yeah, you know, in the gloss between Montana and Texas ranches, I mean, there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of stuff uh, to this. I do live in Texas, but I, I, I wouldn't exactly say that I'm I'm of Texas. <laughs> Well, let me say, I live in California, and now I am of California, despite well, my New Jersey upbringing. Well, that's for sure. And if, I li- <laughs> if, I, and if I'm living in Austin, I'm also of California. But yeah, let, let me be clear, though. <laughs> I've also spent a good amount of time in in Bozeman, Montana, um, which made the program all the more fun. And for those who've out there have gone skiing at Big Sky, the resort an hour outside of Bozeman uh, fits into this storyline because you do have to fly into Bozeman then, but drive an hour away to get to Big Sky Resort. It's an amazing resort, but it doesn't have a city like Aspen does. And that's a big theme of the show. How do we create more Aspens in Montana and less Big Sky Resorts? Are there a lot of Jewish people in Yellowstone in the show? we've come across any Jews yet that's a that's a good point we've been left out not the not for the first time certainly in a western but maybe uh maybe we you know pester Sheridan Hill I'm trying to Jewish Jewish the Jewish cowboy story is untold but still to be told if we want Jewish cowboy humor we can always turn to blazing saddles all right Adam thank you so much thanks for watching Yellowstone we'll talk to you soon thanks Neil surprised as anyone that the karate kid has turned into some sort of extended pop cultural universe 
there's a show on Netflix called Cobra Kai, which is now in its fourth season. It's been renewed for a fifth season. And suddenly a Karate Kid, which was a pop- very popular movie in its time, has turned into this massive phenomenon, a multi-generational, multi-character phenomenon. We've run several articles about it on the site. And Jamie Mason, the pride of British Columbia, has written the latest one. Uh, he was written about a Cobra Kai season four. And Jamie is here to talk to me about Cobra Kai. Hello. Hello, Neil. You're a martial artist. You mentioned that. So you bring a certain perspective to the Miyagi-verse, to Cobra Kai, that I don't necessarily have. You know, I I mean, I love the show, but I find it's endless melodrama and, and, and the sort of the operatic stakes of this, you know, ridiculous San Fernando Valley teen karate culture. The whole thing is absurd. But you you look past that and you, you wrote about in your piece about how the show is about finding moral courage to do what's right. Well, first of all, I, I should clarify my hardcore martial arts days are, are, are some period behind me. But there there remains a sentimental attachment because I, I myself was actually involved in doing karate when the when the, the movie came out, the first movie. One of the fundamental aspects, I think, of, of martial arts is the development of character, the physical fitness, self-defense. But, but part of it is about making yourself a better person. And w- with the development of character comes the opportunity for heroism the opportunity for challenge and all of that necessitates making choice. So yeah, there, there is, I think there's a, there's a strong underlying moral component there. Right. Well, the thing that drives me crazy about Cobra Kai though, is that, I mean, some of the characters are, are morally complex, but you know, but especially the kids, like they're good one season and then they're bad another season. And sometimes they switch, they're, they're constantly switches, switching alliances and allegiances and teams and they're trading around it's muddy about like what choices people are making and why I do feel like, and you pointed this out in the review season four is a little clearer about who's good and who's bad, but it, but it's a completely different lineup than it was in previous seasons. One of the things that's, that's worth mentioning uh, about martial arts culture in general is that people do change schools. It does happen. You know, you'll start training at, at dojo a, and then maybe, you know, one of your buddies signs up at Dojo B across town. So so you switch schools. It happens. Although there is this kind of underlying question of loyalty. Some teachers, coaches, senseis, what have you, uh, are are really all about loyalty. And some of them take it to extremes like like Sensei Crease. You know, I mean, here's a guy that, you know, you, you're you're his body and and soul, literally. And that sort of brings us back to that that moral component. But, you know, people, generally speaking, in their lives, we're amphibious, right? We go in the realm of good and in the realm of evil. And it, it all basically does boil down to choice in the end. You're saying that these shifting alliances in the show actually, to some extent, reflect what actual martial arts culture is. I think that, that there is a, a grain of truth there. And absolutely, it, it is a culture that it can be volatile. You know, so, so that, that side of things, I think, is, is pretty realistic. We can't really talk about Cobra Kai without discussing, to, to my mind, one of the best characters on TV ever, uh, which is uh, William Zopka's performance of, uh, as Johnny Lawrence who was the bad guy in the original Karate Kid movie and has become this like incredibly hilarious and morally complex protagonist of the show. To me, like he is what gives the show its its center, right? It's really his story at the end of the day. There's a lot of sub stories, of course, and Ralph Macchio is still around as Daniel LaRusso, but you know, he never really changes. He's the same sort of kind of drip drippy goody goody that he's always been. 
drippy goody goody with 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 a chain of uh, of auto dealerships. Right. Um, yeah, there is there is any buzz uh, for William Zabka, and I think it's it's merited. You know, he's he's taken what was I think pretty much a, a one dimensional villain in the movie and expanded him outward into, as you say, a, a morally complex character and a person that you can root for. You always you always want protagonists who are going through a hard time because otherwise there's no story. You don't want to pick up a, a book or, or watch a, a movie or a show where somebody gets up in the morning and, and life is fine. You know, <laughs> you want those challenges because that's what that's what makes it interesting. And I, I think William Zabka is portraying a very interesting character in an interesting setting going through challenges that are, you know, at once hilarious, but are, are also realistic, I think, within the realm of martial arts and within the realm of being, you know, 50 something. I don't care about who wins Emmys. I rarely follow it. But if William Zabka won an Emmy for playing Johnny Lawrence, I would be very happy and very excited. It, it, talk about an underdog story. I mean, this is not a guy who Hollywood considered at all. And suddenly he's like one of the biggest stars on TV. And like, but this performance is amazing. And, you know, and what I love about the show is that the, the quality of the martial arts is he, he is an actual martial artist. So when he's doing karate, I mean, it really it, it has some merit. It feels real. You know, it's, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't feel weak and stunty. I mean, some of the even some of the kids are like are extremely gifted. My, my understanding is that for this show, like uh, for the movie Kill Bill, the directors are actually having the actors train uh, and, and learn martial arts in addition to using stunt doubles. And particularly in the tournament scenes, some of those some of those moves that those kids uh, are doing are, you know, they're pretty intense. It's worth mentioning, by the way, that uh, there has been an Emmy nomination for the stunt team for Cobra Kai. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. And I, I, it's pretty seamlessly done. Like, I can't tell exactly who's doing what stunts, but I do get the impression that Zabka himself does a lot of his own stuff. So Cobra Kai, don't give away the ending to season four because I've only watched about half the season. My wife literally can't, she can't do more than one episode at a time. She just, she sits there and she's like, my brain is melting. I can't take it. I can't, I can't take any, any more of those fraught dialogues between Tori and Sam. She's watching it, but she's not watching it fast. So don't give anything away, but Cobra Kai season four is now on Netflix, and apparently there's another All Valley Karate tournament coming up. <laughs> so I'm look I'm looking forward to that. The whole world revolves around the All Valley Karate tournament. Absolutely, you know they're they're watching with with bated breath from 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 South Africa to Ankara. It literally like they treat it like it's the NBA Finals. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> American martial arts culture at that level doesn't generally get the level of attention that the All Valley Tournament seems to generate in the show. But interestingly enough, there are there are places in the world where it does. Uh, I had a colleague I worked with when I was teaching. She was a Taekwondo coach and she'd actually lived in Korea for a time. And Taekwondo is a national Korean sport. And it really is as intense and as intensely followed as the as the karate is and the karate kid. Yeah, I just I love when the kids like go to the beach in Santa Monica or Malibu or whatever. And people are like, hey, are you those guys from Cobra Kai? I'm like, come on. <laughs> the gangs are like the Jets, you know, the Jets and the Sharks. <laughs> how, how convenient. All right. Well, Cobra Kai on Netflix now, Jamie, thank you so much. What's the sign off you say when, to uh, your sensei when you when you're doing karate? Well, actually, you don't. You just uh, you just bow. <laughs> right. Well, I bow to you and you bow to me and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Neil.
right, thanks, Jamie, for talking to me about season four of Cobra Kai, now streaming and forever streaming on Netflix. Also, thanks to Adam Hirschfelder for writing the range with me about Yellowstone and to Kristen Clifford for covering the Scream movie for us. I am Neil Pollock, your editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. Recording this here from my dojo in Austin, Texas. Thank you so much for joining us. Keep listening. Keep reading the site. Keep practicing your karate. We will talk to you soon. Production.